This is podcast 357, entitled Mockingbird en France. And you've just heard a, um, an English-language song that is used in a late episode of an absolutely inspired French mystery series entitled Meurtre en, or Meurtre dans, or Meurtre Murder in, and then you put a place name in it, and the, the episode is shot in that particularly lovely place, boosting and underlining the real aesthetic magic of the locale, but in the context of a murder mystery. And this particular uh, track you just heard is called In the Wild by an English uh, composer and performer named Ollie Gorman, assisted, I think, by the female vocalist whose name is Harm, H-A-A-R-M. And this particular song, which is very poignant, is um, used in a uh, one of the later... Um, episodes called uh, Murder in Le Pays d'Oléron in the Oléron country, which is where um, oysters are harvested in France. And um, the song is used twice in the episode, which is very unusual. I've only found one other that has a song at all in it. And this song is uh, meant to um, condense into a very deeply felt kind of sad 
um, reflection on one's past life in the context of newness, believe it or not, that uh, this episode embodies so brilliantly. And I'm going to talk about it because it's related. Mockingbird is an, a... Um, is a state of mind, an organization, a community of seekers after um, connections uh, that exist between the heart of the Christian gospel, the Christian good news, and real life. And so we spend an awful lot of time and have right from the beginning in uh, looking for being open to uh, means of expression, novels, television, movies, pop songs, composers, art that um, somehow both embody what we see to be most important in life, which is um, we love because he first loved us, which embody the nature of love as a gift and a given rather than a something to be pumped up, but something that, that is, uh, is endowed by previous um, uh, coming to us, which then creates a harvest or the fruit of love enacted. Um, you've heard that before, but we're always looking for ways in which that's expressed, which are sort of in the feeling aesthetic side. Um, you might say not directly from the scripture, but ones that might actually speak now also, as the scripture does, but speak to the little openings in us, which are few and far between, in, in fact, but would both speak to the openings of hurt in our lives and sort of find a way in, like Luke finally finds a way into the Death Star at the end of the first Star Wars movie, would find a way into our real inwardness and therefore speak healingly and decisively to the wounds and hurts that have tended to close us up. So we're always looking, and I'm one of those, and recently my old college classmate, friend, Steve Burson, who is American and lives in New York City and outside New York, but is also a, um, a Frenchman, is also a French, grew up in France, in Paris, and uh, he um, said to me, Paul, you've got to see a couple of these French mysteries called Meurtre en, Murder in, then substitute a beautiful locale, Murder in Carcassonne, Murder in Albi, Murder in Blois, Murder in Toulouse, etc., etc. He said, uh, you've got to sit down and watch this with me. And I said, no, 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 come on. I, I've got enough. I've got so many of things that I listen to and watch. And right now, hey, I'm in a Ray Bradbury phase. I don't want to move out of that. He said, no, no, believe me, please just sit down one time. And I did. I sat down with him for an hour and a half and he watched a... An episode from the ninth season. It's the last episode in the most recent season that concerns Lisieux, which is a small town in France where a very saintly woman named, now known as Teresa of Lisieux, Saint Teresa, canonized very soon after her death and uh, now also known as the Little Flower. And uh, the Little Flower. And um, he compelled me to sit down, and I was utterly taken. I was utterly taken by the depth of it. Now, let me talk a little bit about it, and then why I call this episode Mockingbird en France, because I see something here that I think you, you could use and analyze, and I'm going to talk about it briefly when I speak at Mockingbird. Incidentally, everyone's invited to join us. If you can only come once or twice to any of the events, uh, walk-ins are warmly uh, welcomed. The uh, Mockingbird Conference is, uh, as always, uh, in the uh, beautiful, uh, wonderful context of St. George's Episcopal Church on Stuyvesant Square, which is in Lower Manhattan, not extreme Lower Manhattan, around 21st Street, uh, between 
third and second, as I remember it. I've been there a million times for zillions of years, but it's going to be there uh, in just a week and a half. And um, I will speak on the Friday night and wonderful, wonderful speakers. I'm just sort of giving a convivial kind of anecdotal reflection a little bit on some of these things I'm talking about today, but actually concerning some powerful words in T.S. Eliot's 1939 play, The Family Reunion, which Simeon Zahl has recently brought once again to renewed attention, and uh, I've received some fresh thoughts from it and feelings. Now, this uh, series, which is so full of Mockingbird insights, because it primarily has a low anthropology that is precedent to a high theology of rebirth. Let me say that again. A low anthropology, a low, a realistic and really um, actually rather pessimistic view of the human condition on its own terms without God, which is nevertheless ever subject to the possibility of renewal and new birth and new beginnings. And that's the great powerful germ of the Christian gift to the world, of Christ's gift to the world and God's gift to the world. Now, these... uh, episodes. They're all about an hour and 30 minutes, so you can't really binge them. One is enough, and at my age, uh, one, I, Mary and I watch half of it, take a 15-minute break, then watch the second half of it, because you, we want to know what happens. Now, the um, the basic uh, thought, that they almost all fall into a kind of pattern, although the pattern is uh, constantly being... Um, What's the word we use today? Uh, It's being tinkered with or tweaked, but in a positive way. The basic idea is that a local detective in a small and very beautiful French locale, as I said, with gorgeous photography, it stresses the ambience and also the history of the specific place. A murder has taken place that is um, making the local constabulary scratch their heads. And then a person from the national police force, you know, um, France has a kind of overlap of the national gendarmerie and the local police force or prefects and its uh, prosecutors and so forth. It's overlapping and usually a nationally um, uh, rooted uh, detective is uh, sent to the local constabulary to help solve a major case. And the case is a murder that is often tied in with some aspect of the town's history, uh, and it may have a slightly ritual or even occult-appearing look, but in fact it's not about that at all. The two detectives, one of whom is local and one of whom is from outside, together given their very distinct personalities and more importantly life histories and wounds and hurts together end up solving the mystery which turns out to be something very psychological and normal but very, very real about the human character of sin and original sin and uh, often it's uh, rooted in some ancient or 25-year-old grudge or 15-year-old bad thing that happened that uh, uh, some person has taken revenge or is acting out of what we might call today unabreacted anger, um, and to say the least, and then somebody else gets sort of on the list of the killer, and then two people are dead, and then these two people. But what's so marvelous about it is not only the reckoning with deep, past, aggressive, hidden... Um, 
resentments and grudges and feelings of wanting to get even with somebody who has bruised you and hurt you or hurt someone you loved. But the two detectives inevitably bring to it, they are not strictly professional. They're, they're good. They're always good detectives. They're never bad detectives or corrupt in any way that we use that word to think of it. They're not bribery takers, anything like that. However, they're, each one of them has baggage. And sometimes the baggage relates. There's a former marriage, almost always a former marriage, a former boyfriend. Almost always one or two of them have a child from their first marriage or first or an earlier relationship who they're concerned about. It could be an autistic child, but it's almost always one child who's sort of 12, between 5 and 12, who's, who one of the detectives is concerned about because she or he is away from where they're sharing custody for the child. And then the other detective, usually older, male or female, has some other kind of deep a disability or a hurt or some incipient disease or the fear of a stroke or some kind of uh, uh, even relationship to the actual um, people who committed the murder or instigators of the terrible pattern that caused this terrible crime to occur. So the power of it is that the detectives themselves have to deal with their own unabreacted problems or their own problems that they bring into this professional situation. And fortunately, they don't, they're not like what we tend to do. Oh, it's my private life. It has nothing, no relationship, no professional life. No, sir. Their private life and inner lives have everything to do with both the way they relate to each other professionally, which is always above board, and the way they relate to the substance of the terrible doings that are being uncovered and monitored and finally, hopefully, apprehended, solved, and stopped. And uh, the most moving element in it, and it's consistent throughout the entire series, and Mary and I have seen about 20 of them. I think they're about 50, maybe 55 or 60, but we've seen about 20 of them. And they're, they're so exhausting. You know, two a week is all we can do because they're complex. They're much more complex than American or even British. Um, and also they're not contrived. They're not mysteries for their own sake. They're mysteries that are used to um, uncover personal problems, both in the community where the crime occurred and more importantly in the inner lives of the people who are investigating the crime. And that's where the power is. Now, the song I played you, In the Wild, by Ollie Gorman, is in the one of the best of the later episodes. It's called Murder in Oléron, which is a section, as I said, of uh, France uh, near the sea where oysters are harvested. It's a very important but limited and actually rather um, lucrative but uh, high, 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 what's the word? Uh, big high maintenance, a lot, a lot of work involved. And um, the two detectives, uh, one is actually a kind of autopsy, a forensic medical doctor who's sort of 60-ish or pushing 60. And the other is a distressed and troubled um, woman uh, who's about 44 or 40, at least 40, who has problems. She's a little uh, what we call um, ADD, and she has a major problem with her mother with whom she lives, who's, uh, who's dying of cancer. And there's a major attachment that is un 
wholesome on the part of the ill mother to her professional 40-year-old daughter who's not married and has no children and has only had bad relationships, unfortunate relationships with men and has been brought up basically by a single mother. And then this, this, uh, this uh, forensic um, guy has had a nervous breakdown in Guyana while being a medical doctor, kind of a doctors without borders type of chap. And he's had a breakdown. And so he's very sensitive. He can't really face sin on its own terms. He has to rather autopsy it when it's dead, but he can't deal with it when it's direct. And of course, these two wounded, but very endearing, sort of conflicted people are attempting, you might say, to have a relationship which doesn't quite come off. Matter of fact, it goes off the rails. And uh, they're each really so much garbage. They they have so much... um, so many suitcases full of luggage from their past lives, baggage, as we say, that they, they, each of them is prevented. So the story, which is extremely powerful, is not only how do they solve a very challenging murder, which turns out to have a twist that is devastating. I was completely, I usually, you know, I'm usually prepared, having seen Psycho when I was 12, the original one in a theater. I, I wasn't prepared for the ending of Psycho, but at least I saw it and I remember it so well. And I, you would have thought I would have seen a, something of that nature coming and I completely missed it. I, I said to Mary, as it was transpiring, I said, wait, is what I think is happening happening? And she had seen it, brilliant as she is, and I had not. But um, what's really powerful is that these two conflicted, difficult, um, sort of uh, square peg in a round hole individuals, one of whom is pressing 60 and one of whom is mid-40s, come together. They find, uh, remarkably, through catastrophe, through terrible, terrible difficulties, they find... um, they find what it's all about. And then you hear the song again, and I'm going to uh, read the lyrics and then play the song. I recommend this series, but start with the one in, I think it's season eight, but I may be wrong. It's, I don't, yes, I believe it's season eight, but it could be season seven, but it's called Murder in Oleron, O-L-E, accent aigu, R-O-N. And the uh, text of the song, and I'll just read, uh, I'll uh, we're just going to hear an excerpt of it. When we were young, we couldn't see. We cursed missed opportunities. We had the strength to see it, that is, to see what was going on, our missed opportunities. We had the strength to see it through, but life just slipped away from you one more time. When we were young, we couldn't see. We'd curse, later on, missed opportunities. We had the strength to see it through, but life just slipped away from you. I know so many people who are stuck uh, through really no fault of their own, but it's become a kind of habitude, a, a kind of habit, habit of sort of giving up on life and being paralyzed. And, and I keep wanting to say to them, whether in their late 30s or early 40s or 50s, I, gosh, I wish you could get out of this. Go to England. Go to, go to Guyana. Go somewhere. Break out of it because you're, you've you're, you're missed an opportunity when you were young and now you've settled for it. And before you know it, life will slip away from you. And one of these days, you're going to be sitting in a hospital emergency room having just suffered a stroke or a or a terrible heart attack and there'll be no possibility of going back uh, I mean in God there always is and what's so wonderful about these shows is that the devastated characters usually of the police involved the detectives uh, always in encountering human nature at its lowest to quote David Zoll's book Low Anthropology they are given to 
encounter uh, the possibility of a new beginning in a most wonderful way. We'll just listen to a little bit of an excerpt of the last, and I'll see you at Mockingbird very soon. And why don't you, you know, go on Amazon Prime and watch this one episode, Murder in Oléron, or in French, Meurtre en le pays d'Oléron. Love you. When we were young, we couldn't see We cursed opportunities We had the strength to see it through But life just slipped away from you But life just slipped away from you Just faded out for you I woke up Took a while To remember To remember That you're Not around I walked down To the lake Traced the footprints that Just faded out for